Aren't y'all glad to be in the house of God this morning? Let's stand up. Let's give him praise. So give him praise and thanksgiving. Before you ever ask him for anything, before ever you do, uh, you start asking him for blessings or you start asking him for provisions or healing or anything like that, it says to come into, the, into his courts with praise and thanksgiving. Think of it as, a, as if you've seen an old movie with the king and the people come before the king and the first thing they start doing is they bow before him and they start, oh, praise the king. Or they start telling him how oh, long live the king. It's the same concept of saying he is the king, because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You come before him and you just give him praise and thanksgiving. So that's what we do here uh, this morning and every Sunday morning is we want to give him praise, give him glory, give him honor just for who he is, for how great he is and how awesome he is. And the fact that you have breath in your lungs. So let's give him praise.
Father, be enthroned on our praises. God, you said that you would abide in the praises of your people. So right now, God, as we stand right here, as we worship and we praise you, we ask, God, that your presence would fill this place. Because, God, we know that there's a breakthrough in your presence. There's, there's power in your presence. There's deliverance in your presence. There's provisions in your presence. The things that our heart longs for. The things that we desire for you to do, God, is in your presence. The things we cry out to you for, God, we need to be in your presence.
Sacrifice. 
say the moment I'm away have your baby Lord give my heart give you my soul I've for you Lord every breath that I take is it in our life that we're holding on to, that we're not surrendering? What are we not surrendering to you, Father? Shine a light on it. Shine a light in our heart that we can't deny it. We can't hide it anymore. Lord, I give you my heart and I give you all of my soul.
people from depression. Deliver people from anxiety. God, right now, we just ask that you would begin to minister freedom this morning. God, we pray for unity. Lord, we ask that you would unify the church. Lord, your word says that how sweet it is when the brothers dwell together in unity. Lord, and we're asking that you would bring unity among the corporate church. God, you would bring unity among the church abroad. God, you would bring unity among believers. Father, we just ask for your power and your anointing to unify us, that we can walk in one accord, in one mind, in one spirit. Lord, as we get ready for the return of Jesus, Jesus' return is imminent. It's coming. God, and we want to await. Look, the, the Bible says that to eagerly await the return of Jesus. Lord, and we want to be a unified bride. We want to be a unified church awaiting your return. God, we pray for healing and deliverance right now. There are individuals represented here today that need a miracle. And God, I ask that you would deliver people from sickness, deliver them from ailments. God, we pray for healing. We pray for deliverance right now. God, we ask that you deliver people from the, the anxiety. God, restore mental health, Lord. We pray, God, that you would move in power and you would bring deliverance this morning. God, people would walk out and they would say, I feel so free. I feel free because, God, you're ministering freedom right now. Freedom from drug and alcohol addiction. Freedom from hurt. Freedom from bondage. Lord, bring deliverance right now. Lord, we just pray. God, for families represented in these trying times, Lord, maybe there's financial situations. God, these times right now are trying on families, on husbands, on wives. And we pray, God, you would minister your grace right now. We pray that your Holy Spirit would bring forth grace, God, to be a husband in this time, to be a father in this time. Lord, we pray that you minister to the families in the church abroad, in the families represented, in the families connected to Life Church. God, we pray that you work in families to unify our families and our life around the gospel of Jesus Christ, to unify our families and our life around you, Jesus, and your teachings. We worship you. And we honor you. We give you all glory and praise and honor. And if you agree with that this morning, why don't you say amen? Amen. Give the Lord a round of applause. Why don't you greet somebody as you're seated this morning? Tell them hello. Welcome them to Life Church. We want to welcome everybody watching by live stream. We're glad you joined us this morning. And we want to welcome everyone that has decided to be with us here this morning at Life Church. We're so glad you're with us. Such a beautiful group of people. We're so glad. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Josh. I'm one of the associate pastors here. I want to welcome you to service. If this is your first time with us, we want to welcome you. We ask you to visit the Welcome Center. We've got a special gift. We want to um, tell you more about our church. We ask you to fill out a connect card to get to know you and help you find your place in our church and in our family. I do have a couple of announcements I want to remind you guys about. We have several things coming up in the spring. How many of you love this weather, though, right? It's this great Louisiana weather. It's a great time to do things, gardening, for all of you with uh, green thumbs. <laughs> so we have 
On April 23rd, we have the men's breakfast coming up. That's going to be an exciting time for all the men in the house. Come on, say amen. Oh, that was weak. Say amen. All right. April 23rd, we're going to be doing a men's breakfast at the Coffee Depot in Scott. Hey, look, it's going to be a time to be a dude. We're going to be dudes here. We're going to be men. We're going to talk about what men talk about. You know, you know what men talk about. So it's going to be a great time at the Coffee Depot, April 23rd. Also, for all the men in the house, we got the father and son camp out coming up on April 8th. That's going to be an awesome time from bonding and all those things that come with that stuff in the outdoors, you know. Um, Also, we've got on May 1st. We are doing a family fun day and baptism. So the spring, all this beautiful weather, all this time that we talked about, we're going to be doing burgers and baptisms again. And immediately following service, we're going to have fun jumps for the kids, water slides. That's going to be awesome time. Uh, Come to church. That's first and foremost. And then bring swimsuits for your kids because we're going to have water slides, we'll have burgers, and then we're going to have baptisms that day as well. So it's an awesome time to follow the Lord in water baptism and follow his commands. Proverbs 3.9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. At Life Church, we have four opportunities to partner with the Lord in giving. We've got boxes on the back wall. We've got a text to give feature. We've got a Life Church app. And we've also got a giving feature on our website. So we want you guys to be afforded every opportunity to partner with the Lord in giving. If you turn your attention to the screen, we've got a video announcement.
Praise the Lord. Man, if you don't have your children signed up in JBQ, you don't know what you're missing. But an incredible opportunity for young people to get the Word of God inside of them. How many of you know it's so important to do so at a young age? Because the world's putting everything that they can inside. Come on now. And you know that's true. And so, anyway... I'm going to ask the Edelman family to come and those that are going to be coming with them. We have a baby dedication today. Hi. Come on over this way so everybody can get on the camera. Wave to the camera. <laughs> Usually they just look at me and scream, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. Amen. This is such a blessing when we get to dedicate our young ones to the Lord. And uh, in case some of you don't um, know, this is a biblical practice. We don't baptize babies. Baptism is a sign of an inward confession that someone makes when they come to the age of accountability but we do dedicate our children to the Lord and is based upon the scripture in 1st Samuel chapter 1 where the woman desired a child so badly and yet she had not been able to bear a child and she made a, a covenant with God an agreement with God said that if you will give me a child and then she was specific and said a man child if you will give it to me then I will give him back to you and commit him to you. He'll be a Nazarite. He'll never shave his head. He'll never drink strong wine. In other words, she said, I'm going to give him to the priesthood. I'm giving him to you, God. And that's exactly what happened. And, and he, he grew up to be a prophet of God, you know. And, 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 and he declared the word of the Lord in his generation. And so we take that story of what she did. And we dedicate our children to the Lord. And we recognize that these, these little ones are a gift from God. Come on now. I said they're a gift from God. Now I know there's, yeah, I know there's times in the middle of the night that when they scream and cry and they're hungry and they're whatever, you go, oh, you know, but they are a gift from God. And the Bible says we are blessed by them being in our lives. And so this baby dedication that we do today, this is great. I love it. <laughs> it doesn't get more real than this. I mean, really, you know, this is loving family right here, man. <laughs> but, you know, um, we recognize that this is that every little one is a gift from the Lord. And then we also recognize that by our coming, we are making a declaration and that we are, we are recognizing that life itself is from God. And the lives that you have been entrusted with, this, new one, this little one here, uh, is, is, is a responsibility from the Lord. Just as I said that if you'll give me a man child, I'll dedicate him to you to be a priest unto the Lord. God is saying, I've given you a child. And you're saying, God, we dedicate this child to you. But now God says, now I give her back to you to raise in the admonition and the teachings of the word of God. 
And so there's a responsibility involved in that. And that goes for every member of family and friend and extended family. Um, that, that we have to live our lives in accordance to m mirror the word of God, that we live it out. That because our children, listen, I can tell you from years and years of my wife teaching in pre-K class, you would be surprised what children say that they learn at home. And it's not what they hear, it's what they see. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. But my wife is sitting right there and she'll tell you, it's amazing over the 30 something years of ministry that we have seen and heard the things our little ones say. And so our charge, my charge to you today is, are you all willing to live a life that, that would represent the Christian faith and the biblical principles before this little one today? If, they, if you do, would you say I do? I do. You realize that this life that you're giving to the Lord today, he entrusts back to you and that you will, in all the wisdom that God can give you, raise her up to be the person that she is meant to be in the eyes of the Lord. If you accept that responsibility, would you say we do? We do. And then church, that also leaves a responsibility to you in that our children wander these halls and our children are in classes and our children watch us and they hear us. And I charge you, will you keep the faith and walk in the faith that this child and every other child that comes in our hallways in this facility or outside or wherever it may be, that you will live a life that will mirror the teachings of Jesus Christ. If you accept that responsibility, will you say, we do? we do? And do you realize that right now there are dozens of kids upstairs and in the back of all ages, and they come here expecting, parents expecting teachers to live a life and to teach God's word. And with that comes a responsibility for us to not only teach, but to give and commit so that we have a place that children can come and they can be taught and they can be raised up in the nurture and admonition of the things of God. And that means commitment to faithfulness in attendance, faithfulness in prayer and faithfulness in finances. Because we believe in our children. They are a gift from God. And if you accept that responsibility, church, will you say, we do? We do. Amen. Would you stretch forth your hands towards this family right now? And we're going to pray a blessing over their household and upon them. God's blessings already on them. But we're going to pray a special blessing today for, for, I love it, grab a handful of hair. Couldn't grab a handful of hair on me. <laughs> Yeah. Father, we thank you for this little one right now. We thank you for Jovi. We thank you, Lord God, for what you're doing in her life. We thank you that even now your DNA is present within her, Lord God. Your purpose, for you said from the moment that she was conceived, you planted 
who she is and what she is to become, Lord, in this life that she has been given. And so we pray that she would be raised up in that manner. We pray for this mother and the father, Lord God. We pray that you would anoint them with wisdom from heaven's throne. Wisdom, Lord God, that comes from you. It's not of man's wisdom. It is from you, Lord God. Father, each of our children are unique in their, in their own way. And, and Father, that takes wisdom to know how to raise each and every one in the way that you would have them be raised, that they might be and live out that which you've called them to be. Even now, from a young age, Lord God, your purpose and plan is at work. So we pray for wisdom upon them. We pray for protection upon their household. We pray for blessing upon their household that every need would be met. And I pray for the extended family members and loved ones, Lord God, who stand here today. I pray for them that God, you would bless them and that you would speak to them and you would help them to realize each time they come in the presence of these children that God, they are to be a representative to them for your kingdom purposes. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 You need four hands? Yes. Amen. God bless you. Amen. You know, we, we believe in our children. We believe in from the babies all the way up through students, um, you know, high school students and them. We, we, we believe in them and what God's purpose is for them. And I don't have time to go into it today. And Pastor Tracy's not here to tell you. But yesterday, uh, Friday and Saturday, um, many of our young people uh, competed in a, a state fine arts competition. And several of them won awards and have been invited to the national competition. Yeah. So we are, gonna, we are going to plan a special service so that you can see the uniqueness of our young people our, that, that have competed from everything from puppetry to dance to three-dimensional art, photography, uh, music, uh, worship leading, you name it. There's, they competed in several different categories and w many of them won first place in the state and or top three in the state. And we'll go to the national competition at the end of July in Orlando, Florida, where they'll probably have 20, 25,000 kids from around the United States competing. And our children have been there before, and they have won. <laughs> and they have won categories nationally, and they've come in the top three nationally, and we're just thrilled how God just blessed them for their hard work, hard, hard work. And it was, it was shown yesterday. So we, we're going to plan a special service where you can see 
that, and we're excited about it. And listen, uh, we, uh, Pastor Josh mentioned we're going to have a baptism in Burger Day, and we're going to have water baptism here, and next week we'll have a sign-up sheet for those who want to be water baptized. You've yet to be water baptized. This is the time to do it, I'm telling you. This is a great time to do it, so I hope that you'll take advantage of that opportunity. Amen. Uh, let me just say tonight that uh, we'll be doing a service at 6 o'clock on Bible prophecy. And tonight the subject will be the judgment seat of Christ. And most Christians, many Christians do not know that they will be giving an account of God before God for their lives. I remember the first time I heard the teaching, I said, no, 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 I'm saved. I've given my life to Jesus. I'm not standing before God. There's no books going to be open, but that's not what the Bible says. But there is a reason why this is going to take place, when it's going to take place, and what the purpose is. It will change your life. I'm telling you, once you grab a hold of that. And so I hope you'll come back at six o'clock. We go for about 70, 75 minutes or so at the most, and then we have question and answers afterwards. So we invite you to come back at 6 tonight. I'm going to be reading from Matthew 26, verses 59 to 60, and a bunch of other scripture. But we started a mini-series last week, and so let's just read these the verse and a half here. It says, The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. And so we started a, a series last week about Jesus and the claims that Jesus made. And we talked about last week the fact that wherever Jesus is mentioned, controversy always follows. And we looked last week at the fact that Jesus Christ claimed his claim to be God. He claimed to be the Son of God. And here's the interesting thing. Of all the world's major religions, Jesus is the only leader who claimed to be God in the flesh. Of all the other major religions, none of those leaders, none of those founders made that claim. Moses didn't make it. Muhammad didn't make it. Buddha didn't make it. But as outrageous as that claim may be for some people that he was God in flesh, the son of God, there's another claim that Jesus made that is maybe even more controversial. And we're going to look at that claim today. And that claim is that Jesus made was that he was the only way to God, the only way. In John 14 and 6, a verse of scripture that many people know, even if they don't read the Bible, it says, I am the way, Jesus is speaking, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, say no one. No one. Now, who is no one? No one. <laughs> I mean, it's simple, right? Let's not make it hard. No one comes to the Father. Who is the Father? God. Except through me. That's what Jesus said, me. He said, in other words, I'm the only way. That's the only way you can get to the Father. Now, of course, there are people who think that Jesus is wrong and that he's not the only way to God. So what is true and what is false? So we're going to look at a few common beliefs that are false concerning Jesus being the only way. And then we're going to come back and see what the scripture says and give you textual proof why he was who he says he was, okay? The first thing is, the false claim is to claim only one way to God is intolerant. 
This has been a claim for years and even more so in the day and age in which we live today. The idea that just one religion, one religious person, one, one founder of a faith movement, if you want to put it that way, is, 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 is the only way is absolutely intolerant. That is, if you claim that, that if you say someone is wrong in their beliefs because they believe in another different faith or a different belief system or whatever you might structure it as, then in this culture today, you and I are, are called, told that we're intolerant and we're bigoted. Now, the irony of that is the people who say this are also guilty of being intolerant. <laughs> See, you can't have your cake and eat it too, they say. I don't know why they say that, because I can eat my cake and have it too, but I mean, you know. But the, but the idea that, you know, that if I, if I disagree with you and say Jesus is the only way and someone else says, well, I don't believe that, then I'm considered intolerant and bigoted. But you, by your statement, you're saying that I believe there's other ways and Jesus is not the only way. You're not intolerant and you're not bigoted. That's what the culture is today. Several years ago, Franklin Graham, the son of Billy Graham, got into a hot spot with the media because he made a declaration that Islam was not the way to God and that Jesus was the only way. He was in an interview on National Public Radio and here's what he said. He said, the whole notion of tolerance. He say they, they say, well, you Christians are narrow-minded. You say Jesus is the only way. You're not tolerant of other religions. Well, he said, if other religions are not tolerant of us, I'm not putting down their faith system. It's just not what I believe. And I don't accept their way as truth. They don't accept my way, that's fine. But don't ask me to believe that their way to God is a valid way. I don't believe that. So is it intolerant and arrogant to believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God? It would only be intolerant if Jesus is wrong, okay? If Jesus is right, then it's not intolerance, it's truth, okay? Let's go on to another false belief system or idea that's in our culture today. And that is that there are many ways to God, okay? I, I've started conversations before, and I said this, that I believe that any religion will get you to heaven. Some of you are looking at me going, what? Did he just say that? I believe any religion will get you to heaven, but only one belief will let you stay there. Because see, you, one day you're going to stand right down there where that laser is at the great white throne judgment. And you'll be in heaven and you'll see heaven and you'll experience heaven, but you won't be able to stay there. You want to start a discussion? Do that one tomorrow at work. You know, I believe that any religion will get you to heaven. And somebody will say, that's right. And then you go, but only one will let you stay. And they'll go, huh? There you go. There's the crack in the door, baby. You get in there. I mean, you guys out on the street, that'll get you started, man. I'm telling you, when you're out there talking to people about the Lord. 
There are many ways to God. It's a very popular belief, but it is a false belief. And it's often expressed by different people of different backgrounds. I'm going to give you a couple of quotes, some names really hard to say here. Uh, James Robinson years ago used to say when he'd get to a word in the Bible, he couldn't say, he'd just say hard word. <laughs> and so-and-so went to hard word, and there he met the person at hard word, <laughs> you know. But uh, I, you know what's great about the internet today is you can put in the names and ask how to pronounce it, and they'll tell you how to pronounce it. And I, I think I'm going to get a recorder up here, Brother Josh, and just play it through a microphone, you know, so-and-so's name like that, you know. Um, but here's, here's an individual, Ramakrishna Purahansa. That's his name. I won't tell you how to spell it. You'll see it in a minute. But here's what he said. He said, one can ascend to the top of a house by means of a ladder or a bamboo or a staircase or a rope. So too, diverse are the ways of approaching God and each religion in the world shows one of the ways. Muhammad Sharif Basiyuni. Basiyuni. Say Basiyuni. <laughs> you probably never heard of him. But he was the emeritus professor of law at DePaul University College of Law in Chicago from 1964 to 2012. Not only that, he's one of the world's leading authorities on international criminal law and human rights. In 1999, he was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize for his part in establishing the International Criminal Court. And the media often refers to him as the godfather of international criminal law. Now, how many of you think that's a smart guy, right? I mean, you got to be smart to be able to, to, for people around the world to recognize you as the godfather of international criminal law, okay? And in Jan on January 4th of 2000, he was speaking in an interfaith dialogue near Chicago. And here's what he said. He said, all religions lead to God using different paths. Judgment is not by the choice we make, but by how we pursue the path of the choice we make. Different religions and cultures are equal in the eyes of God and should not be seen as equal in the eyes of man. And the most common way today to be spiritual is to take parts of religion that you like and, and leave parts you don't. It's kind of like a faith buffet. You know, you're going down the line, and I like that, I don't like that, I like that. Give me a little of that and that. When you get to the end, you got your own faith system. Well, this isn't promoted just by Hindu gurus or by Nobel laureates. Hollywood, for the last two decades or more, has been huge in promoting this kind of thing. Sarah Michelle Geller, maybe some of, I hope you don't, well, you may know who it is, but she was a famous actress in a TV series some years ago called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And here's what she said, and she was very outspoken about it. She said, I consider myself a spiritual person. Listen to me. Here's what you hear a lot today, is that I'm spiritual. Can I tell you something? We're all spiritual beings. You're either spiritually dead or spiritually alive, but you have a soul and, and a spirit that is eternal, and so you are spiritual. Okay? Don't be fooled by that label. 
But she says, I consider myself to be a spiritual person. I believe in an idea of God, although it's my own personal idea. I find most religions interesting, and I've been to every kind of denomination, Catholic, Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, and I've taken bits from everything and customized it. So you might be asking, don't all major religions basically say the same thing? And here's, here's what you need to understand. They all ask similar questions. Who is God? What is the world? Why is the world in such a mess? How do we solve the problems of the world? The fallacy is to think that all religions may ask the same question and that all the religions come up with the same answer. That's the fallacy. That's what's wrong. Rabbi Zacharias, before he died, one of the books that he wrote, he said this, anyone who claims that all religions are the same betrays not only ignorance of all religions, but is also caricatured view of even the best known ones for every religion at its core is exclusive. Okay? So, Here's, here's what you need to understand. Is it intolerant to claim that Jesus is the only way to God? My answer is no, because it's truth. And I was going to stop there, but this past, a few days ago, something I read just blew my mind. And I said, well, I've got to put this in my message this morning. And, and, and that's a third false belief. And that is that it's impossible to know the true path to God. Do you know that surveys in America today show that most Americans believe that there are many different ways to God? Now, that may not surprise you, but here's what, what might surprise you, and that the majority of those who claim to be Christians also believe that there are many different paths to God. Let that sink in for a minute. The majority of those who claim to be Christians, who call themselves Christians, who say they believe in Jesus, who believe they say they believe in the Bible, they believe that there are many other ways to God besides just Jesus Christ. This past week, a few days ago, there was an article about a young, and I'm going to put in quotation marks, Christian minister that says there were many different ways to God and it was being promoted on a certain website and magazine. I'm not going to mention it. But this young minister was raised in the faith, broke away from the faith some years ago and has become an activist and certain movements, and I'm not going to get into all that stuff because I'm trying to focus on this idea that people are saying today it's impossible to know the true path to God. This young minister has a very large, when I say very large, I mean large, large following on TikTok. And almost all his messages are one to two minutes. And he's on there daily, and he's answering questions to people, especially young people who are looking for answers. And again, this is the point of this series, for the Bible says we are to be able to give an answer for the hope that resides within us. People are hungry for truth. They're tired of being lied to. They're tired of, you know, just, just whatever. They, 
they're hungry for truth. They're like a dried up sponge. And when water hits it, man, they're like, that's truth. But the problem is if the church is silent, for the most part it is, because they don't even know what they believe. And they don't know how to articulate it. See, it's, it's one thing to say Jesus is the greatest high. That's what I heard coming up during the hippie movement. Jesus is the greatest high. The only problem with that, there's a low somewhere. Okay, nobody told me that part. Jesus is a feel good. He'll make you feel good. Jesus will make, you know, all these things. And I learned a long time ago that Following Christ does not mean that everything's going to be peaches and cream because sometimes the peaches are rotten and the cream curdles. I mean, serious. Come on now. We got to be truthful about the world in which we live. And so people write in questions from things that he said before. And this was an answer. I'm going to show you just a very short part. It's already short enough, but I cut part of it out. Try to save time. But he made a statement in a previous message that he is a Christian agnostic pastor. And I want to go, that's an oxymoron. But anyway, so somebody wrote and said, I, I read that you said that you're a Christian agnostic. Can you explain that? And so I'm going to show you part, most of his response. I am a Christian agnostic. What does that mean? I say I'm a Christian because culturally and religiously, my worldview is grounded in the Christian religion. The stories and scriptures, traditions, theologies, the forms and liturgies, the stories of Christianity are how I understand my life and understand the world. I use Christian language and I think in Christian theological terms. I'm a Christian in that sense. But I'm also an agnostic, meaning I don't know the big answers to the big questions of life. I don't know the absolute truth about the nature of reality or our universe. To be an agnostic is to have the humility to admit that finite human beings can never fully comprehend the infinite. I believe we get glimpses of God, glimpses of truth, glimpses of ultimate reality, but that is all we get in this life. And so I'm humble, I'm open, I'm willing to learn and be challenged and have my perspective evolve and change and transform. What I believe today may be different than what I believe a year from now because we're always meant to be asking questions, evolving and growing. Christianity gives me language, it gives me a form, it gives me a set of stories and myths to help ground my search for meaning and truth, but I don't believe Christianity itself as a religion encapsulates the fullness of truth because nothing can do that. If God is truly God, if God is infinite and eternal and indescribable and uncontainable, no religion can contain God. Indeed, no words can contain God. And so in some senses, to be a Christian agnostic, I think is simply to say, I am a person of faith who is oriented towards Jesus, who's oriented towards the tradition that surrounded and evolved around the person of Jesus. I am somebody who's always on a journey. I'm somebody who's always going to keep seeking and hopefully keep learning and growing. Jesus is my cornerstone. Jesus is the one in whom I find the most meaning and the most rhythm for my life, the direction that I try to walk on. But at the end of the day, I stand in humble, reverent awe at the bigness, the beauty, the mystery, and the majesty of the universe. 
admitting, I don't know, you don't know, we can't know. All we can do is be amazed. As St. Augustine. I'm going to tell you, I want to go back to this verse. John 14 and 6. I am, say I am. The way, say the way, <laughs> the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He has hundreds of thousands of people who are following him on TikTok. And how can a person who claims to be a Christian, never mind a minister of Christianity, a minister of the gospel, how can they claim to be a follower of Christ and yet say Christianity cannot contain the whole truth about the path to God? How can they say that Jesus is their foundation and then they turn around and call the Bible stories and myths? How can they say the expression of God cannot be articulated through the words, any words, he said. There's no words that can articulate the expression of God. How can they say I'm a Christian and say that the Bible, the word of God written here, it cannot articulate what the Bible says. Again, John 14, 6, it's not rocket science. John 17 and 3, this is eternal life, that you may know, say no. no, that you may what? That you may know. This is what Jesus is saying to the disciples before his death, that you may know the only, 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 I wish I had a way to go only, 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 you know, the only true God. Amen. And Jesus Christ whom you have sent. <laughs> I mean, Jesus makes it clear. Eternal life is to know the only true God. He, he doesn't say to know a true God or have an idea. He said to know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom that God, the Father, sent to earth. That's eternal life. Amen. Eternal life's not found any other way. So are there many ways to go God? No. Each religion claims to be the only way and yet only one of those ways can be true. So this statement that I bring to you today is Jesus Christ the only way to God? And the answer is yes, absolutely resounding yes. There's only one road. I will not apologize. You can call me intolerant. I don't care. I'm not backing up. It's not doctrine. It's not dogma, even though I believe this with all my heart. Because I know, as the Apostle Paul said, I know, I know, I know in whom I have believed. <clears throat> and fairy tales and myths don't change lives. Stories made up by man cannot deliver you from drugs, from alcohol, from anger and rage. It's the person of Jesus 
The idea that he said, I'm searching and evolving my ideas of what I might believe tomorrow. How does one go to sleep at night wondering that the truth about God's going to change tomorrow? The Bible says, God said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. Who he is today is who will be tomorrow. Who he is today is who he was before. When I wake up tomorrow, if God gives me another day, he'll still be the same God. He'll still be on the same throne. And he'll still be giving grace to those who call upon his name. But there is no other way except through Jesus. Now I'm going to show you a passage in the scripture to prove this. And, and, and you probably have never seen it this way before. And it's found in the book of Matthew 26. And it's found in the scene of the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the night before Jesus is betrayed. He's taken into captivity and betrayed, denied by his disciples. Most of you know that story. But let's read this. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here a while. I go and over there and pray. And he took Peter and two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep Watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation, for the spirit is willing and the body is weak. And he went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Three times he prayed. If there's any way this cup can pass, if there's any way, God, let it pass. But if not, then let your will be done and not mine. And then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners Rise, let us go. Here comes the betrayer. But I want to go back and look at verse 42 in particular. It says, and he went away and he said, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. This verse is often pointed out how Jesus submitted to his father's will and all things, even to the point of death. And that is true. It's a, it's, a, it's a very applicable point. But there's another truth that I believe cannot be overlooked. And that is this, that Jesus is praying that God reveal another way for people to be reconciled to his father. Three times he prayed that. 
If there's any way this cup, any way this cup before me, this thing before me that's weighing me down even to the point of death, if there's any way that God, Father, they can be reconciled to you, then let this cup pass. And God's answer was, there's no other way. See, Jesus had to die to provide a way. Islam won't do it. Hinduism won't do it. Judaism won't do it. Mixing and matching of religions won't do it. Being good won't do it. See, the problem is our sin separates us from God. That's what the Bible says. We are born into this world with a sinful nature. Our nature is inherently sinful. And that, that sin, Bible says, separates us from God. And Jesus' death upon the cross is the only, was the only cure for the death that was being brought on us by our sins. See, if there was another way to God... Jesus' death is unnecessary. How many of you never thought about it like that before? See? Jesus made it clear that he was the only way because he had to die to make a path to go to God. I mentioned last week it that the sequel of the Passion of the Christ, the resurrection is coming out next year. And the original movie, it was basically covers the last 12 hours of Jesus's life with a few flashbacks to his childhood. Now, we just read about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and in the movie, The Passion of the Christ, they actually included a scene that isn't spelled out in those verses we read, okay? But I want to show you part of that clip, I, uh, just a portion of that, because I think it's important to understand and for us to come to the realization, if you're not already there, that Jesus is the only way to God. Watch this. <laughs> Light eye. 
सौंपा कुलच कहो हेल कष्ट गए अकेला किस दिला किस is not recorded in the Gospels. It is superb theology. Why, you might say? Because at the beginning of humanity, God gave strict instructions to Adam about not eating the fruit of a specific tree in the Garden of Eden. And one day, Satan, in the form of a serpent, comes to Eve and tempts her with the forbidden fruit. And then she brings the fruit to Adam, who received the command directly from God. And I point that out because the Bible says the woman was deceived, but the man, Adam, sinned. Eve received the, note, the, the word from Adam, but Adam received it directly from God. And the Bible says that the promise of being like God, because that's what they were told. He says, you will not die. You will be like God. And the idea of being like God and never dying was too enticing. And so Adam and Eve sinned against God by eating the fruit. And God confronts Adam and Eve and pronounces the judgment or the consequences of their sin. 
Adam was told that the ground that he was able to take care of that brought forth great fruit and harvest without any work would now, by the sweat of his brow, only bring forth fruit and it would be filled with thickets and thorns of every kind. Eve was told that now she would bring forth child in pain, which meant she had brought forth children before, not in pain. And if you've never heard that, now you have the answer of where Cain's wife came from. But then God confronts Satan, the serpent, and he pronounces a word against that serpent. And it's, it's twofold. One, the first part says, from this day forward, you will crawl on your belly. And you say, well, snakes always on their belly. Archaeologists have found fossils of snakes that have feet. Hind's feet. It wouldn't be a curse if they always crawled on their belly, but now they do. But in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is the first prophetic word of a Messiah, of God putting into action from heaven's throne a word that we now know through Christ was hidden from the rulers of the ages until after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But in Genesis 3 and 15, it says this, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. In other words, I will make you enemies, is what God's word says, and, and between your offspring and hers. I don't have time to teach on that, but we'll teach on it when we get to the Antichrist in Bible prophecy. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It's the first messianic prophecy of a savior and Jesus fulfilled it. He fulfilled it. And that's why that part is so powerful. See, most people think that Jesus in the garden didn't suffer, but it says that he suffered even unto the point of death. He was God in flesh. He was, it's hard for us to understand how can he be God and how can he be man? And all those things you saw on the screen, though they were the thoughts of a screenwriter, I have no doubt that many of them went through his mind because three times he prayed, is there any way this can pass? Please let it pass. He had always been in constant union with his father. And he was beginning to sense the weight of the sins of the world. It was not placed on him yet, but it was coming. And he could sense that coming in his humanity. If you have never seen the passion of the Christ, I challenge you to go watch it. Because it'll change your idea of playing games with God. In Matthew 26, 36, it says, and then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Now, maybe you've never heard of the place of Gethsemane. I've been there a couple times. And it, it, some of you know, but many of you may not know. Do you know what Gethsemane means? It's not just a map, a name of a place on the hill like, you know, Maurice or Scott or Youngsville or something like that. It's more, it's more than that. The word Gethsemane 
means oil press. And it was, we know it was on the hill of Mount Olive because it's covered in olive trees. And those olive trees, many of them are thousands of years old, thousands, not hundreds, thousands of years old. I remember my first time walking around those trees thinking, were some of these the trees that were listening to the prayers of Jesus who was praying to his father? It means oil press. It's where the, the olives would be crushed for their oil. My wife and I, we, we went to an oil press. We actually saw the way it was done in those days. And, 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 and it was not only a place where olives were crushed, but Gethsemane was a place where Jesus was crushed. And it was the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 53 and 5, for it says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And just as we saw in the movie and in Genesis 3, it was the place that Jesus was not only crushed, but it was the place when he said, not my will, your will be done. He crushed the head of the serpent, fulfilling the prophecy in Genesis 3. He said, if it can't be bypassed, if it can't be done any other way, he said that I put my foot down and I'm going on, Father. I will blaze the path that our creation that was made to have fellowship with you would be able to come to you. And even though Jesus still had to face the cross, it is here that he made that decision that no matter the cost, he was going to go down this path. So when I say there is no other way to God, when I say that Jesus is the only way, when I say that it is not intolerant to claim that Jesus is the only way, I don't apologize for that. There's been no other one who's done anywhere near what Jesus did to make a path that whomsoever believeth shall not perish but have eternal life. Are there many ways to God? Each religion claims that they're the way, and yet none, all of them cannot be right. It is Jesus, because if Jesus is not our only hope, our only way to God, then he would have walked away from the garden. He'd have said, that's enough. Father, you know that this belief will come, and this belief will come, and this belief will come, and they can all get to heaven doing that. He would have walked away. But he didn't. And that line, he says, behold, the betrayer is at hand. The betrayer being one of his own. So you might be thinking, now what? Well, because Jesus is the only way, you need to walk the path that he laid out. Because Jesus was crushed for our sins. He paid the price that God demanded for the forgiveness of our sins. But I've stated it many times before. Jesus didn't die for your sins. He paid the price for your sins. He died for you. He died to have a relationship with you. So you say, well, how do I, how do I begin that walk? How do I begin that walk? Jesus, by 
asked his father, is there another way? Heaven said there was no other way. And so the question simply is that you and I need to answer the same question. Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to God? And we're getting ready to pray in a moment. But I want to read some words to you I came across just recently. And they just, man, they just kind of sum this whole thing up to me together. It goes like this, Jesus. It's a little name, a small word. Say this little name in public, however, in a way other than an obscenity and stand back and watch the fireworks. This little name is like a tiny detonator that triggers a nuclear warhead. You can say God and you won't get a squeak. You could say our father or mother in heaven and few will flinch. You could say great spirit or the man upstairs and people will nod in approval. You could say Allah and you won't be deemed intolerant. But just say Jesus and wait for the sonic boom. Articles will appear in the paper. Reprimands will be posted from the home office. Suites will be threatened by the civil liberties block. So don't say Jesus. Jesus is divisive. And now is the time for unity. Jesus is an extremist. And that must mean he's right wing. <laughs> Jesus is exclusive. So his name amounts to hate speech. Keep his name to yourself. Cloister it in your church. Lock it in your prayer closet. Close it between the covers of your Bible. But for God's sake, don't voice it in public, in the public square. It's immodest, it's immoral, and it's unloving. There's only one problem, my friends, and that is that Jesus is God. And there's only one problem in this world, and that is Jesus is the only way to God. Jesus alone is the way of salvation. And the only one problem is that all other gods are nothing. They're a figment of some man's imagination, an idea of movement that died when that individual died or will die when the end of the world comes. So speak the name of Jesus out loud. Shout it from the mountain. Whisper it in the dark. Write it in the sky. Because the name of Jesus is not hate. It's hope. We're going to pray right now. And then I'm going to read one last verse of scripture. See, we need people with boldness to stand in this day. We need people who, who are searching for answers to find the answer. There isn't but one answer, and it's encapsulated in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not encapsulated in theology and doctrines and dogma and man's writings. It's in the person, the living person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who's been raised from the dead, sits at the right hand of the Father, and is getting ready to come back to planet Earth. 
Except this time when he comes, he's not coming back as a baby. He's not hiding out in a manger. The Bible says that the sky will roll back like a scroll and he will come back on a white horse in all of his glory and his father's glory. There'll be double glory coming back from heaven and every eye shall see him and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. My friend, that is not the time to take the knee. The time to take the knee is now. It is now the time to declare that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He was raised. He died on the cross. He lived a sinless life, born of a virgin, raised from the dead on th after three days, and he's waiting to come back. He's waiting for his father to give the cue to say, go and fetch your bride. But until that time comes, you and I are called to be ambassadors of the gospel of his hope and his love. I see why so many people run into church and walk out of church unchanged because they're being taught philosophies and ideas. And those things won't change you. It's the person of Jesus that will change you. I mean, you're talking to a guy who was raised in religion. <laughs> I mean, I knew religion like you wouldn't believe. I knew all the prayers. I knew when to ring the bells. I knew how to do all that kind of stuff because I did it for years, my friends. But it was that day, that morning that I came face to face with God when I said, God, I'm tired of being a phony. I'm tired of living this life. If you can do anything with me, I am yours. The most spiritual prayer you ever heard, right? And right then and there at two o'clock in the morning in Merced, California, God took the weight of the world off my shoulders. I didn't know salvation. I didn't know saved. I didn't know none of the, the none of the, you know, the terminology. I didn't know any of that. All I, I told the person the next day, they said, you did it, didn't you? I said, I did. I don't know what I did, what I did. And they said, you asked Jesus into your life. I said, how can you tell? They said, I can see it all over you. I said, what's it look like? I mean, I mean, like, you know, I'm 15 years old. I'm like, really? And they said, well, how do you feel? And I said, I feel like somebody took a Brillo pad on the inside of me and scrubbed me clean. The sky is bluer. The birds sing better. Water tastes better. I said, I'm not mad at my mom anymore. I'm not mad at my siblings anymore. What's going on? They said, you met Jesus. I said, I met Jesus. I had to have someone tell me I met Jesus. I didn't even know. I've been raised in religion. It didn't set me free. It bound me in fear. So the day that Jesus set me free is the greatest day of my life. And who would not want to tell others about that kind of Jesus? If you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, you've never given. Listen, it's not about going to church. Oh, that's something we should do because it's good, it's encouraging, we learn and we have fellowship. But it's not about going to church, it's not about keeping rules, it's having a relationship with the living God. The reason he rose from the dead is that you might have a relationship with him. 
And you have to believe what the Bible says, as I mentioned earlier. And then you have to surrender. See, to understand, people say, well, I'm going to go after Jesus. Can I tell you, there was a rich young ruler that went after Jesus. And then Jesus said, but there's one thing you have to do, son. You've kept all the rules, you say, but, but your riches are hindering you from following me. So sell everything that you have and give it away and then come and follow me. And it says in the, he, he wept and cried and turned away. It's one thing to know. It's another thing to follow, but it's another thing to surrender. Because see, when you ask Christ into your life, you're surrendering and giving him the controls, putting him in the driver's seat. So if you've never done that before, this is the moment for you to do it. I'm not asking you to join the church. I'm saying, are you ready for a relationship with Jesus? And maybe you've prayed a prayer before, but if you be honest with your life right now, it doesn't measure up to what the book says. You just prayed a little prayer and thought maybe that gave you a get out of hell free card. That's not following Jesus. It's surrender totally to him. We're going to pray a simple prayer. I'm going to put words up on the screen. You can follow along. You can speak it out. But what matters is not you just saying it. It's got to come from the heart. See, I know people say things all the time and they don't mean it. You do too. But right now, we're going to pray. Because you have to ask the question, can you pray, Lord, not my will, but your will be done? Would you pray with me these words on the screen? God, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. I believe he died to pay the price for the forgiveness of my sin. I believe he rose from the dead to give me life forever. Forgive me for the things that I've done wrong. Create in me a clean heart, a new heart, a new life. I surrender. Say, I surrender. I surrender my life to you Jesus I ask you to come and live in me I give you full control not partial control not just Sunday control not just once in a while control not just when I get in trouble control Jesus I give you full control of my life from this day forward Holy Spirit Teach me about Jesus. Teach me how to obey and follow him the rest of my life. Amen. And if you just prayed with me, or maybe you're watching my way of the internet now, or someone will be later. If you just prayed with me, can I tell you, there's something going on in heaven. 
The Bible says there's a rejoicing. There's a party going on in heaven. For in the presence of the angels, it says, the angels are rejoicing. But in the presence of the angels, who's in the presence of the angels? God is in the midst of the angels. And Jesus is sitting on the right hand of the Father saying, here's another one for you, Father. There's another one. One more that's found the path. One more that's come and made, made it to you, Jesus. And I thought of this verse of scripture yesterday in Romans 16, verse 19 through 20. Paul writes to the believers in Rome and he says, everyone has heard about your obedience. So I am full of joy over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. And verse 20 says, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. <laughs> Glory to God. The Bible says that Jesus has crushed his head. He's already defeated. And in Christ, you and I live and move and have our being. And so by position of being in Christ, his head is already crushed under our feet. But there is coming a day when we will see Satan himself take a knee in person. He's going to take a knee and he's going to confess with his mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. And every demon in hell is going to declare, Jesus Christ is Lord. And I'm telling you, I can't wait for that day. I'm going to have to wait, but I can't wait for that day to watch Satan take a knee and with his mouth, he won't whisper it. He'll have to declare it loud enough that through the kingdom of darkness, he, they hear him say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. Could you stand to your feet this morning? Can you stand? I don't know where, if you, where else would you stand? You stand to your feet. We always say that. Stand to your feet. Stand on your head. <laughs> you know, no, really. Listen, if you prayed and accepted Christ this morning, there's a number up on the screen right now. And you write that number down. And you can send it to send it to us and I'll get that text message. And you can just simply say, I just prayed to receive Jesus Christ into my life. Or if you have a prayer request, a prayer need, you can text it to that message. And I'll get it and I'll pass it along to people on the prayer team and the staff. And we'll be praying for you. But I want to know who received Christ that I can rejoice that Jesus, the, the blood of Jesus, the power, the name of Jesus is still changing lives today. Hallelujah. Father, we bless you. Come on, let's just bless the Lord right now. Father, we bless you that your word is true. I thank you that we can know you. We can know because of what Jesus did on the cross. And Father, you didn't leave him in the tomb. You brought him out. And he's alive today. The blood never loses its power. The name of Jesus never loses its power. Men may die. Religions will die. Philosophies will die. But the name of Jesus will live forever. And his followers shall live for they are raised already to newness of life according to the Bible. 
I'm sorry for those who claim that they know you, but they really don't know you. God, I pray Holy Ghost would go after them and convict them using the word that's already inside them. Father, there are people here today that they were once raised in the faith and they've walked and turned and gone their own way. Father, in the spirit right now, awaken their hearts, awaken their minds, awaken the word to bring conviction, Lord, that they might come back to you. And Father, we come against every lie of the devil who would say you're not good enough. Well, none of us are good enough. That's why Jesus died and was raised again, that if we believe in him, we could have eternal life. Father, I thank you. There are no restrictions except that we bow our knee to the name of Jesus. Lay down our agenda. Lay down our desires. Lay down our will. And we say, God, your will for my life. Your will for my life. How many of you believe that God, God's will for your life is he wants the best for you? And can I tell you that sometimes the path you're on is not taking you there. And God will put roadblocks in the way and he'll put obstacles in the way and he'll cause you to trip and to fall and you say why God are you against me and he's not against you he's for you the apostle Saul Paul he was he was out to persecute the Christians he was about to out to kill him and God brought a roadblock on the way to Damascus and he said who art thou Lord he said I'm Jesus whom you persecute and God took him and changed his life. And he wrote the majority of the New Testament. Don't tell me God can't change. He's still changing lives today. Father, we bless you. We praise you, Lord God. Thank you for the resurrection power of your word. Thank you for the life-changing power of your word. And I am so glad that I can declare with all confidence that Jesus is the Son of God and that Jesus is the only way to God. And know that those words may antagonize, those words may stir up things in people, but God, those words will light, bring light in the place of darkness. Now I send these people out, your children, your people, Lord, is light in the darkness, but the truth of your word beam brightly from their lives that all might see. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you need special prayer for anything, come and some of us will pray for you. Or again, you can text that number if you have a prayer request and want several people to pray with you. We won't pray for you. We'll pray with you. Amen.